Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this week's episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes or on SoundCloud and get it automatically. You can catch the show on the Stitcher app if you use that. And I've started to post the audio on YouTube if you like to listen to audio through YouTube. You can like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. Email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com and you can follow me on Twitter at my first sketch. Philly Podfest has begun, and this Sunday, July 23rd at 4.30 p.m., My First Sketch will go live at Fitz Second Stage with very special guests, the incredible shrinking Matt and Jackie. Tickets are $5, and you can get them in advance by going to myfirstsketch.com slash July 23. But today's guest is Alex Perlin, who is a stand-up comedian and a former member of Two Mustaches. His first sketch is called Professor Wen. Alex reads Girl Roommate, Professor Wen, and provides the musical theme. And I read Girl Roommate 2 and Guy Sweater Vest. So let's go to the sketch. Hey, Girl Roommate number two. I just got this semester schedule. Oh, let me check it out, girl roommate. Oh, nice. You've got women's studies, women's physics, women's history, and oh, no. What is it, girl roommate number two? I don't have any Monday or, Monday or Friday classes. My, my advisor said it was a perfect schedule. You're taking advanced theoretical history of human beings. I know. It's an early class, but my platonic friend, Guy Sweatervest, is the new TA. I figured it'd be easy. You are so screwed, girl roommate number one. It's the hardest class ever made. The professor is the most stubborn man to ever teach anything. Don't be such a les. I'm sure it's not as bad as you say. Whatever you do, do, na- do not argue with him. The professor will wipe you from history. You will never exist. What are you talking about? You're being paranoid. <laughs> Let's get drunk and make out. That's your answer to everything. Professor Wen, Professor Wen, Professor Wen, traveling through time. Professor Wen, Professor Wen, he's traveling through time to make up a new line. He's got lots of stuff, including that thing. Yes, it's called tenure. Oh, Professor Wen. When are you? Professor Wen, he doesn't curve grades. He curves history. Uh, I sure am nervous about my first teaching assistant job. Uh, it shouldn't be so bad. Advanced theoretical history of human beings never has more than four or five students each semester. Come to think of it, I don't know how the professor keeps his job. <clears throat> That's because I have tenure. Professor, when did you get here? That doesn't matter, boy. Guy. What? My name is Guy. Guy Sweater Vest. Yes. Yes, I know. You're named after Guy Fox, the hero of the Peloponnesian Wars. No, I was named after Guy Gardner, greatest Green Lantern in Sector 2814.3. And besides, Guy Fox tried to blow up Parliament. He wasn't even alive in ancient Greece. How dare you question my knowledge of human history? Follow me, teaching assistant Guy Sweatervest, and I will show you some real history. 
Professor Wen. Tune in next week for part two of Professor Wen, brought to you this week by the Time Funnel, the greatest funnel of all time. Hey, Alex. Hello. All right, so tell me about this idea. What, tell me about the sketch. Okay, well, it's from my old podcast, uh, Two Mustaches, mm-hmm. which was actually uh, a sketch podcast I used to do with my best friend, Alvaro Lopez Moreno. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the two of us, and we both had mustaches at the time, so we named it Two Mustaches, which we thought was brilliant, but then quickly realized is the worst name for a podcast ever. Well, it's not very descriptive of what... No, no, no. It's, it's terrible because it's impossible to search for. Okay. So we spelled it out, T-W-O space mustaches. How do you spell mustaches? Uh, M-U-S-T. That's cool. That's how we spelled it. Most people spell it M O U. Now, so now we have two mustaches. Then two could be the numeral two. <laughs> so we now we're already at like four ways to spell this. And then it's like, do we? Sometimes we put a space in there. Sometimes we didn't. Eventually, we started. We we made a a, a Facebook for it, but this is before Facebook pages existed. So we used it. We couldn't call it two mustaches. Facebook was like, that's not a real person's name. <laughs> right. And I was like, how dare you? I'm non-binary. But the uh, uh, we, so we created it in Spanish. We called it Dos Bogotes, which eventually got blocked because they called it racially insensitive. Um, but yeah, so anyway, the Two Mustaches was a, a sketch podcast that it started out dumb. Um, I met Alvaro at a open mic and he was doing rap. And in his rap, he mentioned, uh, uh, what's he was his name? Uh, he's one of the Green Lanterns like a really big one, Kilowog. He mentioned Kilowog, okay. the Green Lantern. And I walked up to him. I was like, you know who Kilowog is? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, we're friends now. <laughs> and I thought it was really funny. We hung out a couple times. And I was like, I wanted to do, I was struggling with stand-up at the time. And I said I wanted to do two-man stand-up with him. And he was like, okay, cool. Let's write some stuff. And I was like, I don't write. And he was like, what do you mean? I'm like, I just get up and just say what I want. And he was like, well, I write. I write everything down. That's how I write raps. Like, I write. He's like, everything that even seems like it's coming off the top of my head is pre-written. And I was like, that's dumb. You should just have it come off the top of your head. <laughs> so he came over to my house, and we, uh, we bent our minds in a couple of different ways. And then he grabbed my laptop and hit record. And he's like, well, let's, if, if, if your way is just going off the top of your head, why don't the two of us pretend we're in front of an audience mm. and we'll record this and then we'll listen back to it and we'll write a transcript and then that will slowly turn into a two-man stand-up bit right okay that makes and I was, yeah it makes sense yeah so we sat there and we did it and uh then he, he i i emailed him the file or however he got i think he had a thumb drive and he took the file from my laptop and uh, i went back i went to work the next day and like two three days later he uh he he, he called me and he was like hey i listened to the thing it's been a couple of days i finally listened to it i was like oh yeah was there any good parts to keep and he was like it's not good stand-up Right. And I was like, okay. He's like, but it is a good podcast. And I was like, what the fuck is a podcast? <laughs> I had no idea. This, by the way, this is in 2007. Okay. So this is way, this is way back. Ago. So this is. So I was like, what's a podcast? He's like, it's like, it's like a radio for your iPod. And I was like, then why wouldn't you just listen to the radio? Like, this is stupid. <laughs> and so like, we discussed it. He came over, we recorded a couple more because I was still trying to push it as a two man stand up bit. Yeah thinking we could just do that at the open mic in Westchester. And he was like, nah, 
we have to do, this is a podcast. So we started, um, over time, like we would come up with funnier bits for it and we started releasing it and we came up with funnier and funnier bits. And one of the things, um, that was happening at the same time, Alvaro moved in with me. I moved into a new apartment. He moved in and, uh, it was right when the revival of Doctor Who started. So like 2005 is when it restarted. 2007, 2008, Doctor Who was starting to be like, among nerds, it was everywhere. And then, yeah, and then it Tennant was, takes it was, over. Yeah, David Tennant was in there. And it was like, it was, it was just right before David Tennant's run ends. So it was like getting popular, but it wasn't everywhere yet. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't get it at Hot Topic. You know what I mean? Like you had to go to a comic book store that imported stuff from Britain to get a Dalek. Like, yeah. I remember like my dad went to London. I was like, get me a Dalek. So I was getting obsessed with Doctor Who. And there also wasn't a lot of episodes. And it wasn't easy to get because this is pre-Netflix. This is pre-YouTube right. like, videos couldn't be longer than five minutes. And I'm, and I'm assuming that BBC America... BBC America was like barely there. Well, yeah, that's a, like, uh, yeah it, was, it was being shown on like randomly on PBS some afternoons. Because that was my only ever uh, um, introduction to, to Doctor Who was weird random stuff for Sunday night, whatever British show that are going to show. Yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while it was Dr. Who yeah, and I and, didn't understand it. And I remember Dr. Who being on sci-fi when sci-fi first rolled out on cable, mm-hmm. but it was so weird then when I was a kid that I just couldn't get into it. Right. And that's, I was like, this that's is cheesy. Yeah. I was like, this is cheesy. And I like star Trek. Like if you're going to be cheesy, be serious. And like yeah. they would show Tom Baker, Dr. Who and it was silly and it was dumb and I hated it. And then I got older though. And I saw the David Tennant run and the Christopher Eccleston run. I got super into it. And so since there weren't all these new episodes, I started going out and like downloading and buying old Doctor Who DVDs and starting to watch it for the camp. Mm-hmm. And then I understood why people liked it. Yeah. While that's happening at the same time, we're recording this podcast. I also bought a record player and we were, I was collecting records. So, you know, I'm 33 now. At that time, I think I was 23 or 24. And uh, yeah, right, right around that time a lot of my friends' parents are baby boomers and, uh, boomers and their parents started to die. And when their parents died or moved to assisted living, they had to get rid of all the stuff at their There's parents' house. So when they were going to start throwing out records, yeah. yeah, so I have like four or 500 records of stuff I'll never listen to, but I got a lot of stuff like Fireside uh, Theater, oh, man. which is like really wacky stuff, yeah. old Cheech and Chong, Big Bamboo, um, just a lot of really classic stand-up, but a lot of really classic audio sketch. And I'm like, well, we're doing a podcast, which is just audio. Yeah. We should do sketch stuff. And one of the things Alvaro found was an actually an old Sherlock Holmes radio play. So his idea was we need to have a radio play inside the show. So Professor Wen, the idea of it was this was a New Zealand public radio program released from 1953. It actually is before Doctor Who. Okay. So, but it's called Professor Wen, and the whole premise, if it's not clear in the sketch, is he is a he is a teacher that has tenure at a college. Tenure is the name of his TARDIS. I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's basically <laughs> but there, you did create. We did create one, okay. and his um, the whole thing is anytime someone questions him on human history, he goes back in time and changes <laughs> it so it matches what he said it was. That's the whole premise of it. And his, his biggest enemy, unlike, you know, doc, Dr. Who has the master, his was the dean. And right. Professor Wen slowly became an all-encapsulating part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started to bleed into other aspects of the show. So we, we did a lot of it. It was all audio-based sketch, which is in some ways actually easier than visual sketch. 
because you have to spell everything out. Yeah. So it's like we wouldn't have stage direction if you can't hear it. You just don't do it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of like that. Uh, like a fifties comic. When, or, We're gonna punch you in the face. Ow, or you when you read face. Shakespeare. Yeah. There's no stage direction. Like Hamlet's like, I'm gonna walk over here now. Like. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, you have to say, it, but it, it reminded me a lot of like nineteen, like nineteen thirties and forties comic books. Yeah, because and then even, I mean, you mentioned going through old records. Bob Newhart's not a stand-up comedian. No. He does. He does characters and he does yeah. bits and. And little sketches was, and stuff. And like there was Jonathan Winters, who no, was one of my early um, Nichols and May are don't know who that is. Uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May. It was a two-person group that came out of the Second City. Okay. The, Mike Nichols directed The Graduate. He became a. They both became oh, big okay. directors. Okay. But they started as a two-person comedy group. Okay. And they're just sketches, but they are considered stand-ups yeah. by. Well, we didn't realize at the time that we were actually ripping. Like we thought we invented a new style. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, Allcamp was on, Matt Allcamp was on your show. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thought we had that a new style where you just kind of riffed it. Like you write like a, you riff it, you write an outline, you riff it some more, you write a little bit more of an outline, you riff it some more. No, that's, that's just the that's, Second City that's style. Second. But we had no idea. <laughs> and you say that. I was like, yeah. And, and so you're mentioning like, yeah, we we're going to riff it and he's going to write it down. I was like, yeah, that's exactly how it should be done. No, exactly. To me. And like, that's how, and that's, and like I, my stand up style has always been I get up and I perform. And if something works, I keep it because I actually don't um, quite get jokes. Mm-hmm. I don't like to me things that are funny um, are not funny to other people. Yeah. And sometimes I'll watch something that is hysterical, not laugh, then watch it with a room full of people and realize, oh, that's why it's funny. Like Aqua Teen. The first time I saw Aqua Teen when I was younger, I was like, this is dumb. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Not even funny, stupid. This is just dumb. This is lazy writing. It's. It, you're just slapping a bunch of shit together. Yeah, I don't and think I'm a big Aqua Teen person. Yeah, yeah, like. yeah. But then I got high with my friends and watched Aqua Teen. <laughs> and I was like, I get it. It's dumb. Like, well, I feel that you said the operative word of getting high probably yeah. helps just as much as... But I think even if I hadn't been, I think that just sitting around watching it with people, I find that with comedy, especially comedy is a social thing. Yeah. Comedy on its own. When you look at people now who are uh, super loners, who get into like a specific type of comedy, like true loners. I mean like loners. What are they into? Nazi stuff. The end. Like that's what they're into now. Like look at what the internet's done. We're all lonely people in crowded rooms and they're taking Nazi flags and painting them green. Be like, it's not a Nazi flag. You're triggered. And I'm like, that's, that could have been me easily. Like that's the thing. Like that's the one thing I get about all of those Trump trolls now is that was actually a path I was going down before I met Alvaro because I was a loner in comedy. Uh, people actually, there was a time I showed up one time I was wearing a long black coat and I showed up to an open mic Good God, and like, people thought I had a shotgun underneath it. I didn't, I've never owned a gun, <laughs> but people actually thought like, cause I was being very weird. I was going through a lot of stuff in my early years. I started doing stand up when I was 18 and wow. the closest people next to me were all so much older. Like now there's this great comedy scene. There wasn't mm. one. Right. There, there was two clubs in Philly. There was the laugh house and there was Northeast cabaret and I went to Northeast Cabaret because it was a guaranteed if you showed up, you got on stage. Okay. I didn't go to the Laugh House because it was random draw. And it was an hour and 15 minute drive from my parents' house to get here. So I was like, why would I drive an hour and 15 minutes and not Poor, get on? Yeah. So I thought I was going to Northeast Cabaret. And the people I met there and the, the, the comedy style I was doing, I didn't get laughed for my first six months, like, at all. Like, but I was entertaining people at the bar. And they were mm-hmm. like, you're funny here. Why can't you be funny up there? And I was like, I don't know. 
<laughs> so I just kept doing it. It was the first thing I ever failed at. Uh, before we get too deep into your stand-up time, what made you laugh growing up? What, like, what was your comedy fandom? Uh, it, well, I my mom would listen to uh, stand-up tapes when we. My grandma lived in North Carolina, so we would drive from uh, Delaware County to North Carolina. It's about six and a half hour drive, and my mom would listen to audiobooks and stand-up. Mm-hmm. So the two biggest ones being Bill Cosby. And Jonathan Winters. Okay. So from Jonathan Winters, I took the improv style of just kind of trying to keep it loose and mm-hmm. react to what's in the room. And Bill Cosby, the storyteller style. Yeah. Um, and those were the two that had the most influence on me. Then slowly became Robin Williams. Who is directly influenced by Winters. Yeah, directly so you know, by Jonathan, yeah. Yeah, Jonathan, Jonathan Winters. And um, I, the first time I saw a Robin Williams stand-up special from like, the early 80s late 70s like i didn't know he was on cocaine and stealing jokes <laughs> i just thought that was top of his head like it would just everything seemed to, like, like to me the idea of actually writing something and then pretending it was new yeah was was a lie and then i got it and eddie izzard was another one late in high school yeah eddie izzard showed up and i watched his hbo aspen comedy special and i read an interview with him when I was in high school, and it was all about how Eddie, everything Eddie Izzard does is improv. Again, lie. No, it's a it, total it's... lie. But the, 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 the review of his New York show was he was on stage, and the whole thing was that he's a, a transvestite comedian, and that's his words. He was an executive transvestite. And a, a button, was it, what is it? It's full male and half a girl or something? Something like, like that, it, yeah. How he... Yeah, yeah, but yeah, his whole thing was, was he's an executive transvestite, yeah. and he, he, he's like, I like to dress like, girl, like, dress like girls, but I also like to kiss them. Like, yeah. it's okay. But it's, the whole thing was during his stand-up set in New York that the New York Times was there to review, a button fell off his blouse. And so he asked someone for a sewing kit, and for the rest of his set, they were like, the rest of his set, he did up 45 minutes just on while re-sewing his blouse. <laughs> and I was like, okay, and that, now I said no, that what he was doing was he was re-sewing it, doing a one-liner here, doing some act, yeah. one-liner here, doing some act, crowd work, act, yeah. crowd work, act. But it, he made it seem like it's just happening now. And the reporter doesn't know the magic. So <laughs> right. I that, read this. That's one, of the tro- that's one of the tricks that comedians can use. Yeah, like, you make it seem like, yeah. no, I, just tonight. Just yeah. tonight. And uh, Only time anyone will ever see this. Yeah. If you watch me doing stand-up now, I've actually just graduated from college for the last seven years. <laughs> like this week. <laughs> I've just graduated from college because it's just a good opener. So I always or, say. Or yeah, the funny thing happened to me this morning. No, it yeah, happened. It's always, no, it it's happened always, two and a half years ago. Yeah, like. at best. <laughs> you know, but the, uh, but no, the, he, I, I read that I think when I was in like 11th grade. And I was like, okay. And the first laugh I ever got was from an, like uh, just a line I said. I had to say um, in sixth grade, I had to say, uh, introduce an orchestra piece mm. and uh they said oh you're gonna read it in front of everybody you walk up to the podium and just say and all the line was and, and now uh and now a selection from the footsteps of mount kilimanjaro that is it that's all i had to say and i came home and i mentioned to my mom i was gonna announce this thing and my mom said well let me see it and i handed her the card with the words on it and she freaked out she was like you're going to mumble this you're gonna screw this up <laughs> <laughs> and like she like I, I was like I'm not she didn't make me nervous about it at all she was nervous on my behalf I was about to say what wonderful confidence no, your I mom know, but instills. she made me keep for like a week I had to keep going 
And now footsteps from, you know, a selection of footsteps from Mount Kilimanjaro, a selection of footsteps from Mount Kilimanjaro. And she would like, we'd be like sitting here eating dinner. She pointed at me like a selection of footsteps. So I got up on, I got up to the podium. I'm wearing a suit. And I say, and now the orchestra will play a selection of music from footsteps of Mount Kilimanjaro or whatever. And there's a room full of middle schoolers, like 300 middle schoolers just lose their mind. I didn't get in trouble. Nobody was like, all right, like... The place just went crazy, and I was like, "Okay," I was like, "That's what a, that's what a laugh felt like." But I didn't really log that one. It wasn't until the first time I got up on stage and tried to get a laugh and didn't, and then got my first one. That was the difference. So you said so you started, you start stand up at eighteen. Yep. Going up to comedy cabaret. Yeah, my dad asked me what I wanted to do with my life, and you said comedy. Yeah, and he wanted me to go out and fail and then become an accountant. Okay. And I failed, and I was like, "No." I, but I, you still didn't become an. Accountant. I've always gotten like a B. I've never, or at least like a C plus, you know, like I've always like done well enough. I'm like, okay, I can do it. I've never heard anyone like say it that way. Like I didn't fail. I mean, I, I didn't get, I didn't get a full A, but you know, yeah, C no, plus is fine. But like, I straight up, I failed. Like I've like, I like, I, when I walked off stage, I'll never forget. Like I walked off stage and this guy, and he was not funny. That was the part that pissed me off. Yeah. This guy was not funny. He looked at me and goes, that's eh, not for everybody. <laughs> and then this dude, then this dude proceeded to walk on stage with a bag of wigs put on different wigs and act out different like racial <laughs> stereotypes <laughs> which I won't even do because we're in West Philly and I will get the shit beat out of me. They won't hear it. Um, right. Do you remember your first joke that you did on stage? Do you no. remember anything from that first set? I didn't write it down. Uh, you just... I didn't write it down at all. I, that's what I mean. Like I legit, I would just show up and I would be like, I'm just going to tell you about who I am, my day, <laughs> things I found funny. But then, okay, so after failing for so long, or failing to start, when was the first time that you were like, you got a good response, you know, oh, I, positive? Oh, I, my car was, I had car trouble, and it took me like two hours to get to the club, and so because I got there so late, I had to go on near the end, mm. and I was furious about that, because I knew I wasn't going to get home until like midnight, Yeah. and uh, my parents were going to be angry, because again, I'm 18, yeah. like maybe 19 at this point. And I think it was the summer after my first year of college. I was just furious. And I got up on stage and just started. I just did this, like, breathless rant. And I, I, in my head, I think I did four minutes straight without ever stopping. Just powering right through it. Just screaming. Everything that's ever happened that was wrong, I just described to this cra crowd. And the last line I said was, because it was the brakes. On, I remember it was the brakes on my Azuzu Trooper. And it was snowing. I think there was some snow. So I think I was back on winter break. Yeah. And I said, I was worried that I'm going to be driving down Roosevelt Boulevard. I'm not going to be able to stop. And I'm going to slide across the snow and run over one of the homeless guys with no arms or legs. <laughs> and the only thing I'll be able to say is, I think his name was Matt. <laughs> Which is a street joke. But I ended it with this street joke. But it's this whole weird thing. And I'm just going back and forth. And the entire thing ends with the, you know, what do you call a guy with no arms and legs standing in front of a door? Matt. <laughs> That's that's it. And that was just this dump. They connected together. I said it and this wave hit me. This mm -hmm. wave of laughter hit me. I never felt it before. And I've never been like and I legit I remember just being like, thank you. Like just running away. Like <laughs> That's enough. Like like, like 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 when a nerd gets his first kiss in a movie, like the girl like kisses him on cheek he's like, and runs away like Napoleon Dynamite. Like yeah. that's exactly what I did. And then um then a year later I got my second laugh. A year later. A year later. How often are you like 
doing it. Like once a week. Uh, you're okay. Oh, it is that but back frequently. Then, that, like, back then, that was all you could do. Right. There wasn't a mic. But like you know, there's a part of me when you say a year later, I'm thinking, oh, he's going down like once a month or you know something. No, but no. Like, I mean, like if you're doing it weekly. Wow, yeah, I was doing like, it weekly. I mean, I and I was going. You know, I went back to school. I had, I had, you know, I dropped out of college eventually, and I was just always doing it though, and I was always trying it, and I, I kept. You know, it was a thing that if I wasn't doing weekly, it was at least like three, right? You know, three times a month. You might month. miss and, and one week or something. I might miss one week because you know I'm grounded. Were you like <laughs> living at home? Were like, you ever discouraged in in that? No, because like, I knew I, I. The one thing I actually knew early on is I didn't want to make it young because of Eddie Murphy. Then why would you start young? Because I knew I needed to get good. Okay. So my idea, actually, when I was younger, was to 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 break. Uh, probably about the age I am now, which is ironic because I'm not trying anymore. <laughs> so you had a full plan of like, I'm going to start at. I just I just knew. Start at 18. I I look back at musicians and the really great ones, played for years. Yeah. You know, 10, 15 years, and they they started. They could start even younger. You know, like. Yeah. A, Jimmy Page starts when he's 10. Yeah, you don't need to be in front of an audience necessarily to get yeah. better. But that's what I'm seeing. Like, a lot of these guys, and my favorite comics were when I was younger, um, Red Fox, you know, he's in the business 35 years before his first album. Yeah. You know, a lot of the guys who, I, I don't like a lot of the contemporary comedians most of the time. I try not to listen to them, because also I'm afraid of pocketing them. Right. If you steal a joke that's from the guy who's been dead for 10 years, not 10, the guy's been dead since the 70s, nobody really notices. Right. Because they're like, oh, it's frost. Oh, it's just been out in the ether. Yeah. But if if I get up and I tell you know a Louis C.K. joke tonight, yeah, then people oh, are gonna know. Yeah, Alex stole a Louis C.K. joke. Oh shit. <laughs> so no, but I always knew. I knew that. Also, I knew at 18 I couldn't get in front of any audience, tell my truth, and have it matter. Right, because you don't have the like necessarily the life experience, yeah. or or your problems or stuff that you are encountering might not be as mature like i'd never faced any hardship right exactly yeah. I, I wrote an essay in high school i forget like i forget what the assignment was but like my guess i was i have no opinion i'm like i'm 17 what do i have to think yeah. like what do i have to say oh, like, i remember having to apply for colleges and i they had like what's it what's a hardship you overcame and i remember legit <laughs> I, just, I turned to my mom and i was like i'm not going to this college because that's fucking stupid and i didn't i went to university of south carolina because they did not have essays on their application so, so i ended up going there did you do any stand-up down in south carolina like i tried out for an improv group okay and um i i brought a girl with me to impress mm -hmm. the, the the people and to press her and be like hey look you know, not only am I funny, but I can get girls. And then I was like, hey, girl, not only am I, like, cool, but also I'm good at improv. And I brought her, and they convinced her to try out. And uh, they took her and not me. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, that was, like, the first girl to, like, smash my heart. I uh, just smashed it. I don't even remember her name now, though. But I just remember just being so upset. <laughs> just. But I did. I, I went and I, I tried improv. But, like, all I knew about improv was uh, whose lines did anyway. I was going to say, yeah. Probably. That was all I really knew. And I was like, just say whatever comes to your mind. Yeah. I didn't know about the rules. Right. Yes, and any of that stuff. I had but, no idea. But whose lines anyway is not totally no, it's centered not. on the yes, and, del no. close. It's, it's, it's not. And, and it's actually the way we discovered all those rules is so dumb. Um, so back to the sketch stuff. So Alvaro and I did um, two mustaches for a while. We got involved uh, with um, other people started coming on to the show. Um, Secret Pants being a group that um, 
uh, Alvaro's friend Ron DJed for like their Christmas party one year that they do okay. at Johnny Brenda's. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, my friends do a comedy podcast. You guys should come on. And I remember Alvaro being like, these guys are big deals. Like, we bought a, we made a cheese plate. Like, it was, <laughs> it was a big deal. And this is like 2008, I think. Right. Maybe two, yeah, I think it was 2008. We had a lot of jokes about Ron Paul, too, because I was super into the primaries. Yeah. Uh, we, we wanted Ron Paul and Mike Gravel to have a debate because I wanted to see who could out crazy who. <laughs> and uh, the way you stared blankly at me about Mike Gravel proves how insane that man was. But the, um, so Secret Pants came over and they were cool. And we did, um, they helped us actually, like, we had some sketches kind of written yeah. and they kind of tweaked them. And we were like just watching them edit our sketches and watching them like double punch stuff. We were like, oh, oh, that's how you do that. Okay. And they were like, you can go now. Like, <laughs> uh, and so we did that for a while. Um, my friend Troy Wagner, who created the uh, web series Marble Hornets. Uh, he's a webcomic guy and he mm-hmm. created like one of the first viral like uh, serial videos on YouTube called Marble Hornets. He did voiceover for us for a while. Eventually, like a random guy came in and started writing scripts for us. We never met him. His name was Patrick. Patrick something. I don't remember his name. <laughs> but we were getting scripts emailed to us. Um, we were trying to do all sorts of crazy different stuff all while in the, the world of audio sketches. Yeah. So we're the whole time we're like trying to expand and just do stuff that's different. And then we started doing, um, what's the, what's one of a concept episodes? So one episode, the whole episode is one sketch. Right, right, right. So one episode, we went to space okay. um, to fight the emperor of space and to find the Babylon 5, uh, which if you're wondering what the Babylon 5 is, it's a highly convoluted plot device. That's the description of it in the show. Um, we get lost and do a Mad Lib that explains our entire episode. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done is actually Alvaro and I sat there and we mapped and wrote this. That was one episode. Another one, um, Alvaro gets unstuck in time, like a la Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. And um, he keeps going to different moments in my life is how he got unstuck. <laughs> and it, so which is why Alvaro is uh, of Spanish heritage. So by the mm-hmm. end of it, I'm now racist towards Spaniards because he keeps walking in punching me in the face, <laughs> grabbing a piece and running out. Um, one episode is a normal episode, and then out of nowhere, it's a, it turns into a journal of, a, like an audio record journal, kind of like World War Z, mm-hmm. of a zombie surviving a zombie apocalypse, which involved me actually getting blackout drunk on tequila and mock eating my cat. Um, again, it was just like weird, it was weird stuff, and we was cool and it was fun. And uh, I have them on a hard drive somewhere, but you can't find them anywhere, which is probably for the better. I was about to say, I, I did find stuff on YouTube when I talked to... Yeah, there is some... Uh, when I talked to Matt Alcamp. Yeah, there like, is some. And, and the funny part is, is like none of it's any... None of it's the stuff I think is good. Because <laughs> the stuff I really liked, I didn't want to put up because we didn't have the equipment or the... the I, I, it wasn't going to be right, you know? Right. It's like, why release your masterpiece if you can't get the right. actor for it type of thing. Right. So. I, I, and that's a common, um, I just talked to one of the new sketch writers in town and she, and her sketch, she's like, I really like this, but there's no way of doing this well without spending a lot of money. So yeah, it's going to sit here until we but, can figure that out. But that's where we got the flip side of it. So Matt talked about it on your show when we did that secret pants show and it was at the note Bam Margera's club. Yeah, yeah. It's funny cause Matt was describing it. And it was this big deal to him. And, um, I didn't remember it because okay. we had actually already started doing, Albert and I started doing live sketches at the open mic that I performed stand up at. 
And the cheetah where, where was, was this? Oh, it was my. called Fenario's Coffee Shop. Now I just think it's just called Fen okay. in Westchester. It's on church. It's a 111 Church Street. I'd love to you know, give them a plug. If you're in Westchester, sure. swing on by. Um, they have a. They still do an open mic. I think on the second floor. I haven't been there in a while because uh, my ex girlfriend uh, works at the head shop around the corner. Last gotcha. I heard. So, because uh, why? You know. Yeah. Just yeah, avoid. My wife would beat her up. <laughs> so, uh, but it was a way for me to get double stage time. Right. That was the whole reason we started doing sketch. So you would do you would do a, a set by yourself. I would do stand up. Alvaro then, would rap, and then we'd go up as two mustaches. That's a that's a um, cheat. It's a cheat. It's, it's a strategy that we used to use on, on sketch of a shut up every once in a while, where instead of just putting yourself up your as a group, yeah. it would be just as a single person's name, and you're like, "Hey, you, you, and you, come up here," and then the it just happened to be the same. Hey, you, you, and you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, so we we did uh, we did a bunch of that type of stuff, and then Secret Pants contacted us, and they're like, "Hey, we have a show in Westchester. You're the only Westchester stand-up and sketch group we know." And we're like, oh, "I guess we're a sketch group." <laughs> so we did the show, and it, it went. Um, our sketch, our our set went okay, and it was. But after our sketch, and after I think the first stand-up, it started to fall off because they didn't have the stage mic'd at all. Right. And it's a giant cavernous place. And so it started to fall off. And it was, it was, a, but it's, it literally is like a mega show. Yeah. Like what I just, I just, Matt described it. It was like this huge show. But listening to Matt describe it on the podcast, because I listened to that episode, and he was describing it. And it reminded me of like the quote uh, from Street Fighter, the movie. Okay. When M. Bison, and like Chun Li tells the whole thing to M. Bison, and he looks right. and he goes, it's, it's when, like, Yeah, when M. Bison came to town, came to your village, yeah. it was the biggest moment of your life. For me, it was a Tuesday. Like that's how it felt. Like listening to it, I was like, "Yeah, that was a that was, well." We could have done that better. Yeah. Um, so after that, though, Matt got the sketch bug, and he started. He and our friend Kyle and Alvaro secretly formed an improvish group. They were like trying to work sketches, mm-hmm. uh, and they called themselves the Action Friends. And they were meeting, and I found out they were meeting without me, and I got upset. Oh no! So I forced my way into the group, and we actually all learned how to do improv. From watching the ASCAT uh, DVD commentary, okay, because that kind of explains like yes and 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 they actually really brought me in because they wanted me to do the story first, okay, and then do it. So like that started growing. Um, so Alvaro, you would be like the the resident monologist. Yeah, I was the resident monologist, but then I would still get involved in right. the thing too because we didn't have enough people. There's three of us. What are we gonna do? Add a woman? Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, it was a dark time. It was 2009. Yeah. The uh, so then we we you know that that was go that was like interesting stuff was happening with that, and then I got involved. Alvaro and I started. We decided we wanted to have a real live show. We wanted to film a pilot. Okay. Want a flip video camera? I mean, it's you know, it's genius. We were doing a lot of drugs at the time, so um. We did this thing. We decided we wanted to call it something. We ended up calling it the Win Show. Again, right. another awful name. Most um, most names are awful. No, so but like, people kept thinking like... we were calling it the Wind Show. Okay. That... Um. So it was just one of those. Was, the reason we chose the Wind Show was because we wanted it to be the opposite of an epic fail, because that was <laughs> trending. <laughs> so that horrible phrase shows up that year, and you want. You go it was everywhere op- for like, like that whole it year. Was, like, it wasn't like now where it's like, oh, that was last week. Like yeah. it was everywhere you turn, it was epic fail, epic win, epic blah. We were like, we just wanted to, all I wanted the show to be was the opposite of a failure. And we did some weird stuff, um, none of which is good. 
None of which oh. I, I, I can say objectively from watching. It, I was like, <laughs> none of this is good. And what it, cause what it was missing was it was missing more voices. Like I have a voice. Alvaro has a voice. We know our style. We knew how difficult I was to work with. Um, he was very demanding. I was very, uh, just flippant and like yeah. run around and he was actually doing everything. Like he, with the podcast, he edited the podcast. He was the one typically who was the one who called writers meetings, which sure. is just him and me. And we lived together. He'd be like, you have to sit on the couch and write something. Yeah. Like we, you have to, we have to make a video. We have to do this. He like was a taskmaster. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have changed my style. Like he was the one who was like, Hey, um, I'm not telling you not to be dirty, but just uh, I, for a month, don't yeah. write any jokes with curse words. Try it. Yeah. And I did. And I got better. Cause I learned, I was like, stop trying to shock people. Yeah. Cause after that year of not getting a laugh, I got another laugh, but I also got a big shock that night. And I realized any reaction was a reaction. So okay. I used to get up and I would tell horrible jokes, like abortion jokes, rape jokes, you know, racial racist jokes, you know, all that type of stuff, like messed up jokes. Just to, I walked audiences. I remember like one of my big proud moments early on was telling people I walked 25 audience members out of a out of a show, <laughs> which, which like today I'm like, why? And I, I was shocked they didn't book me. I was like, no, I mean, I'm edgy. I'm different. Um, you mean- yeah, I was a real edge lord. And, um, you forget that the people that are there are customers for yeah, that venue. That was my whole and thing. I was like, fuck them. They're marks. We got their money. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> shouldn't have paid. Just get up here and do it. It's free if you do it. Uh, but yeah, the. Uh, so we, we brought in Alvaro and Kyle. I mean, All Camp and Kyle, um, they added like. All Camp was also like a, weirdly a fan of our show, which mm. was weird for me. Like the first person who wasn't involved with something tell me they liked it. Who like wasn't a teacher or family member? Because he was Westchester. Yeah, he was Westchester, and he too, was like so. he was listening to it, and he enjoyed it, and he had ideas, and he started his own podcast. Because um, this was you know cutting edge of podcast days, which is every year. Yep. Um, Six years later, I'd finally do it. Like, yeah, that's fine. I'm restarting a new one soon. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, so yeah, it was just this like he he came in, and we all started writing together. We get the four man work group, and the thing is, is Kyle actually was such a Kyle was so bad at staying focused on anything that it actually made me focused. Cause once I had someone I had to baby, then I started getting more involved with stuff. Uh, but I was still, I was, I went through some dark times out of that, but like we, 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 the guys all got together and we created the wind show and then it started building. And like what you were saying about like, if we don't have the money for it, don't do it. Yeah. My thing was we don't have money. Do it. Like so, figure like- out any way to make that work. Because we're in a college town performing for like 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Yeah. And it's in a coffee shop. The only reason people were even going there is because they weren't 21, so they couldn't go to right. bars. So they had nothing else to do. It's before smartphones. It's before YouTube had really taken off. Like, it was just before all that stuff. Even and it is a college town, so it is, based, it is a captive audience for the most yeah, part. Yeah, and it's like, captive, and they have nothing else better to do. So we put together this show, and our original idea was... We put together this show and we booked bands on it. And our idea being the bands were the draw. Yeah. And actually by like, I think it was our fifth or sixth show, people were begging us to not book bands. Okay. Because they're like, we want one, um, we don't like the bands. Uh, two, we like your thing. And three, by you booking bands, it's now like a two and a half hour show. Right. So like it was after that, like I learned slowly, like Dave Teruso, I met him and he was like, 
hey, comedy should never be longer than an hour and a half. The audience gets tired. And yeah. I was like, okay, that was my new goal. The show will never be longer than an hour and a half. Um, we learned like how to cut things down. We brought in Amanda, who was our like basically our like our stage person, mm-hmm. and she designed curtains for us that they ended up using at Hey, we're cool. Those were the wind show curtains. Okay. Um, a lot of the props they ended up taking were like from our prop bins. Like I went to my basement, I found a box of puppets when I was six. What can we do with these? Let's right. do stuff with them. And so like that stuff. I like the DIY stuff. Mighty Boosh had just started showing up places. Mm-hmm. So I like the DIY look of Mighty Boosh. Um, I was like, you know, we don't need to go that crazy. I, like, to me, the ultimate CG is the ultimate effect was having a projector and using the projector to show a video to a live studio audience that the whole room could see and then put that weird spin swipe when you're changing scenes. To me, I was like, genius. <laughs> People are like, what about a star swipe? I'm like, that's hack. Spin swipe. Um, but yeah, and then um, around 2010, uh, my, the girlfriend who worked at the head shop broke up with me, and then I like, fled the area. And uh, How far did you get? Like- I went to New Mexico. Um, New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico. And when I, I went out there for a few months, uh, some weird stuff happened. I did, I started doing stand During that whole time, I was barely doing stand-up. I was like glancing were, at stand-up. Yeah, yeah. Like I would do it, but I, it was just a thing. It was like, because I, I was the stand-up in the group. Like Alvaro was the rapper. I was the stand-up. Um, Matt was the cute one, and Kyle was the bad boy. Like that was literally like how we sold ourselves. <laughs> like a full boy band. No, like, we were. That was like how down. we viewed ourselves. Like that was who we did. Like I was doing. And like a lot of the sketches ended in yelling because we thought yelling was hilarious. Yeah. Um. So I went to New Mexico. I had to just leave. Um. 2010. 2000. End of 2009. Beginning of 2010. So I went to go stay with friends in New Mexico. I went out there. I, I was out there for like two three months, and I was at a coffee shop and they had an open mic. So my friend without telling me signed me up. Okay. And like, at that point I was like, resi- I was like, I'm never doing, I'm never, I don't need to do it. I don't need to do stand up. I don't need any of this. I was just depressed. I was, I was sleeping on a couch and I've been drunk at that point for like four months. So in New Mexico, in New Mexico. Um, yeah. At that point I was playing with a lot of guns. Uh, in a box canyon in New Mexico. Uh, it was a crazy place, and I love it. And someday I will retire there. So anyway, I, um, my friend Kendra signed me up for this open mic without my knowledge. I literally am sitting there, like, drinking a coffee, hungover, in this coffee shop. And uh, the guy gets up. He goes, up next, oh, we got some stand-up. Alex Perlman. And I went... <laughs> what <laughs> he's like i've been told oh it's you yeah it's you Kendra <laughs> said that was you and so i uh i walk up and st- i i'm like okay and every maybe not every line but it felt like every single thing i said got a laugh and it was because i finally had dealt with something yeah like i finally overcame a hardship there's no longer an 18 year old yeah i wasn't 18 i was i was uh let's see this is 2009 so yeah i was like 25 26 and the thing other thing too i went out there because i'd driven across the country before the first time i drove across the country it was real britney spears crossroads like let's go find ourselves right and this time it was like i also mind you i, I left out a key port here um i was also a um right before i went after she had broken up with me. I still lived in Westchester for a year. I was working as a mall security guard and hosting rap battles. 
Okay. Just want to throw that out. I feel like that's something people need to know about me. <laughs> I was a rap battle host and mall security guard. So anyway, so I got up and just told, <laughs> you know, just started riffing, and um, the crowd loved it. They because New Mexico did not have comedians. Right. They didn't have a comedy scene at all. No. And so I, for a lot of them, I was like the first guy trying stand up they'd ever seen. They'd seen maybe professional comedians before, but they'd never seen somebody try it. Yeah. And also, the one thing that was really nice was the host announced that I was a comedian and not another poet. Right. Because I've run into that before, where you get up and you realize you follow a poet, and people are like, "Right, because you're, you're not doing you're not doing open mics at comedy clubs. You're doing open no. mics in, com- in in coffee shops. And that's all where the ones, it's all the ones I did back then. Everything. Like, yeah. Where all the ones I did back then. You might have a singer songwriter. You might have a poet. Like, and I liked those better when I was younger because it taught me like the one thing I don't like about. The Philly scene is everyone only does comedy mics. Yeah. And you forget sometimes that you're good. When you're comparing yourself to the top comics, you go to Helium for the open mic, and it's like the last 12 guys on that are like the top 12 or like everyone on that is great. You're like, oh, I guess I stink. Yeah, because you're not in the top 30 of 400 comedians. Yeah. Go to any mixed mic. Go to any open mic that is not comedy-based and you will suddenly find out that you are funny. Yeah. You know? Don't do street jokes. You're funny. Yeah. Don't do rape jokes either. So I was out there. I started feeling good doing stand-up. And I made a video. It's actually on the Two Mustaches YouTube page. It's called okay. Alex's Summer Vacation. I, it was just of random things I saw while traveling. And I edited the video together while hammered in a Motel 6 in New Orleans next to a Shoney's. Okay. I picked the hotel because there was a Shoney's there. Um, I I drank heavily in New Orleans, got to Alabama, uh, showed it to my friend Troy. Troy finished editing it for me. He cut, like, my video was, like, 25 minutes long. He got it down to three. (laughs) He's like, there's a lot of stuff in here. He's like, you have a whole montage of you crying in different places. It's not necessary. But uh, we then, um, so I, I emailed it in. The crowd liked it. Uh, I came back and Pat Reber was my stand-in kind yeah. of like he would start doing it. So we did the Halloween show and I liked Pat. I said Pat could be in. Um, and then Pat brought a whole new voice into it. Pat was, Pat was like another, like he was a fan of the show and which I think added more credence to us, yeah. like believing in it. And then around that time was when I decided I had to move to Philly because like I didn't I was back but I didn't want to be back in Westchester, and I had made a decision that I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and I loved working with them and I loved doing sketch, um, but we started having like the violence. I remember this one sketch they did. Um, it was a sketch all camp. I think he wrote it with Pat or with Alvaro. The sketch is called Hand Jobs. And the whole basis of the sketch is that Matt's character, who is Matt, because yeah. a lot of our characters were just us. Uh, we try to do a lot of like fourth wall breaking stuff. And uh, Matt's character go, uh, asks Pat or Alvaro if he wants a hand job. And he's like, uh, I mean, not right now. And he puts himself up, like Matt puts himself up for a high five. He's like, come on, man, hand job. And the whole <laughs> bit is that Matt thinks that high fives are called hand jobs. And 
I was I was there, and I'm like I'm I'm on I'm doing the show with them, and uh, Brendan Kennedy was there, another stand up. We had book, we had him booked on the show because once I came back to the city, started doing the city again, was getting recognition. I started booking stand up, so I just be like, hey, I have a show. Yeah, come do my show, and it would help like introduce me back into Philly. And then people were like, who is this new guy? Oh, look, he's so new. He has all this fresh <laughs> fresh material. I'm like, his jokes are seven years old. I'm just <laughs> reworking them. Um, but they're doing it, and it's it's going like four minutes one joke hand job yeah like just high five hand job and like and Baron's like this is going pretty long so i give him the light which is what you do in stand-up when you're someone's bombing or they're going too long you light them which yes. is you hold up your phone from the yeah, back of the, the room. red light at the red light something i gave him the light and it like infuriated them because like it's sketch it's not stand-up I'm like well you're bombing they're like well we hadn't gotten to the punchline i'm like no the punchline was the first line yeah and we had like an argument about it and then, like, I was living in the city. Like, I remember that being a moment for me, being like, I don't know if I, if I want to work with others. And then, the, then it would also turn into, like, I was living in the city, so I was driving an hour now in reverse. Right. So now I'm driving an hour from, from Philly, from southwest Philly to Westchester to meet at this coffee shop so we could all write together. And because we needed to write together because we had to do act outs. Like we couldn't just like be on Google. It was, yeah, it wasn't a a group where you, this is what I had this week for you. Yeah, we're not that, we were never that type. And we needed to be in the room. We need to fuck about. um, And I'd get there and it's like, people would be joking around. I'm like, I drove an hour. I need to be back by X time. Like I have a show tonight. Like I have, have I have a schedule. And um, we were doing a show in Phoenixville and it was a great show. And it was probably one of the best shows we ever performed together for, like, four people. Yeah. But it was a great show because, like, I walked in and I was like, they kind of, I can't remember who I was looked at me. And they're like, are you just done? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, cool. And I was like, cool. They're like, it's not, a, it's not bad. Like, right. you know you're done. You just are, aren't it's, saying you're done. It's just, you know, the priority is now Yeah, my priorities have way. changed. And, uh, yeah, the changes that came out of that were really great. Like, um, Kyle died. And Wait. then no, he didn't. I was, was like, that's, like, it's been that, a running like, joke between us. Is that Kyle's dead? Uh, but no, uh, Matt and Pat, you know, eventually they they were started to come up. They were doing SketchUp, yep. and they started doing their own stuff because uh, they did the Wind Show without me for a while. Right. Um, okay. Wind Show would still come out and do stuff, and occasionally I'd come and show up and do you know stand up, and uh, they did that, and it was cool. Um, but then Alvaro couldn't do it as much. And so Matt and Pat started doing Hey, We're Cool. Were, yeah. And I remember hearing about it, and I remember talking to Alvaro, being like, what is this thing? Did they just, like, take our old show and now just give it a new name? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, they took the parts of the show that, that, that were, like, unwieldy mm-hmm. and did it. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, like, all the audience participation. Like, we used to do game show segments, all this different stuff on the wind show, all this mixed-in sketches, because we wanted the audience to always be participating. Um, so it's like every other sketch was like participation and then this thing and you know Jeopardy, all this different stuff. Like the questions would be like, who is the greatest, you know, who is, who is the greatest stretchy superhero? Stretchy superhero. Yeah, it's elongated man. So not Mr. Fantastic, not Plastic Is man. that a real thing? Yeah, there's, there's like three different stretchy heroes. If you don't count um, the lady from, who's the mom from the, the Incredibles? Um, Elastigirl. Elastigirl, but there's Plastic Man. There's I, all these sorts of stretchy people. Like my, I, but that was like a question we asked an audience member, and then like, th- like blew their mind because one they don't know what the hell we're talking about, and two it's it's subjective. Yeah. So we would just do dumb shit like that, 
And um, I like how I'm talking about this. Like, it's groundbreaking. Like, I feel like one of those old <laughs> drug addicts in the season. Oh, it was crazy, man. Like, he got up and it was like, it was like he was playing, he was playing the, 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 the black people music, but he was white. It was different. Um, but he, so they took that, though, and they made it their show. And then finally, like, eventually, like, I got to it. First thing, they almost never booked me on it. I think I was booked on it, like, once or twice. I, was, I always give them shit about it. But I, I was actually happy once I saw the show that I wasn't booked on it. Yeah. Because I'd never have more fun as an audience member. <laughs> it was the most fun. Like, you could just yell out whenever you want. You could do callbacks. You could do whatever the hell you want on that show. And it was, it was amazing. And, like, looking at what they did with that and, like, that weird turn that the two of them took was was awesome yeah and because it was something that i like i would never i wouldn't want to do at this point as a stand-up i like having total control of the stage right i will seed it for maybe all of five seconds i will let a heckler say a word <laughs> and i will scream at them until i'm out of i'm out of breath yes that's a major difference between sketch and any of the other uh what's the word I'm like Art forms? Uh, collaborative. Yeah. Like, pursuits versus... Because even you mentioning you wanted to be a duo stand-up, that's a very odd... I, yeah. Like, because there's very few duo stand-ups. I, like, I was listening to the Sklar Brothers I was going to say, time. the one is a twin... Yeah, they're set, all like, brothers, though. Yeah. It's like the Sklar Brothers, the Smother Brothers. Yeah. Like, you have to basically be born and, in the womb. And half of the, the, the character of it is that interplay of yeah. siblings. Like. They know each other so well that they know not to push the other one. And I wanted to do it with some guy who I met because he liked Green Lantern. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it's just... Uh, I've said uh, a lot. So, yeah, so you're primarily stand-up now like yes and you've mentioned that you don't write it's all just like off the cuff i mean you keep things well, but it's not like you're not sitting in a in a office like consciously trying to write a joke and then trying it that no, night it's, no no what I, the most i'll do now whenever i'm doing new material what i i kind of still write in the second city style mm -hmm. which is i'll have a premise that i want to do and so i'll get up and with that premise in mind, I might have a general idea. So there's a couple different ways to write stand-up sets. And you should also try to do this, I think, with sketch. You can't do it with improv because it's improv. Yeah. But um, I think both are the same. You start off with your B joke. The middle is C. And the end is A. You end on the highest note possible. You start, so yeah. it's a, you know, that way it's a one-two punch where you're standing around. It's one, stand around, two. Yeah. That's how it kind of is. So it's called BCA style. So I've always tried to, to, to write that way. So what I'll do is I'll get up and I have a joke. Like, hey, I just graduated from college. Um, it was community college. Which, it was Delaware which, County Community College. I'm going to admit, you, you opened for a secret pants a couple weeks ago, and you said that joke. And I was like, all right, good for him. Like, yeah, I no. was totally like hook, line, sinker into joke. thinking that you, like, you had just graduated. Like, no. Nope. Like two weeks before, I was like, "All right, yeah." Nope. nope. Totally. Now I just, now I throw it now. Like when I do it at an open mic, if I if I do it at all, which I hate doing, I don't like doing old jokes at open mics. But I'll like throw out. I'll, I'll say it like Henny Youngman used to be like, "Take my wife, please." <laughs> I'm just like, I just graduated from college. It was community college. It was Delaware County Community College. Oh, they didn't give me a, give me a cap and gown. They gave me a no fear shirt and a tap out hat and called it a day. I've since begun to update that when I can remember to affliction shirt, right, and a tap out hat. Right. Because nobody wears no fear gear anymore. No, it's no fear is long gone. Yeah, like an eagle starter jacket. Or like that big dog. Yo, dude, I still rock a big dog. <laughs> Are you kidding me? My dad's 6'8". That's how all my sleep shirts came from. 
Um, but yeah, I, I primarily do stand up now. And when I do it, though, I'll have an idea, something, and I want like kind of like I've riffed a little bit, but I don't write it down. And if I remember to do it, I'll do it in the middle of the set and I'll just start doing it. And typically the first time I do it is when I'm the most happy with mm-hmm. it. And then every time after that, I'm chasing that one. Right. Um, so like the, I have a joke about, you know, so what's a Philly saying? Oh, this used to be a good neighborhood. Um, that whole thing never happened. And that saying, I blurted that out. And during an open mic, and I think it was in New Mexico, I blurted out of Philadelphia, this used to be a good neighborhood. And the whole place lost its mind. <laughs> And then I came back here and I did it in Philly. And Philly, like, I get an applause break because Philly's like, it did used to be a good neighborhood, <laughs> right? Before they ruined it. And it's like, depending on where you are, they is widely Completely different, different things. The muffin shops versus, ah. Because so, I can totally think of the they that was in my neighborhood growing yeah. up. Like, yeah, it just, it, it jumps all over the place. And it, that's that same style, though. That's exactly how. I'll tell you the one thing that was crazy, though, with the wind show. Um, it wasn't until we started coming back. And the reason I moved back to Philly is actually because of Secret Pants. I went to go see a show that had Brennan Kennedy and Secret Pants on it, and it was at Fifth, mm-hmm. the old Fifth at the Shubin. Yeah. And I showed up, and, um, and they did this show, and I remember thinking, like, how cool it was. Like, the Shubin. Like, they'd never been a small theater. Like, there'd never been space like that before. Right. And I was like, holy shit, like, Philly cares. Like, there's at least a space. Like, we can get together, and people will pay. I mean, yeah, you don't get any money for it, but, but people will pay. Yeah. And like the fact it, that it's cultivating an audience. Yeah, but paying for stuff means it's worth something. Yeah. And so like that grew on me and that made me want to move back to the city. And then I started seeing like Center City Comedy was running Raven Lounge. Like it wasn't like a dude doing cocaine in the back of Bar Noir and any of that type of crazy stuff. Like it like the thing started to become more and more legitimate and I really wanted to be a part of it. Um but like seeing fit, like fit is actually, I, I always forget, um, but fit is the reason I moved back to Philly Wow, was because I wanted to be a part of not, ne- not necessarily the fit scene, but that what I saw cultivating you, there. Yeah. You saw something growing. Yeah. And- I mean, I, J- I met JP Bodwin. I met Megan Robb, um, even though I met him before, but like I got to see them again. I was like, oh, this is where they work stuff out. Yeah. Like Matt, I think talked about on the podcast, like not really understanding SketchUp. Like we didn't really understand SketchUp. Because we, we treated SketchUp the way we treated our open mic, which was a way to premiere sketches. Right. It wasn't as a way to workshop them. We were like, right, right. We were like, no, if it didn't get a laugh, then we're not doing it again. <laughs> not, yeah. yeah. Instead of fixing it and doing. And, and we never did multi-run shows until like very near the end. Yeah. We didn't know you could. So everything was temporary. Everything was. Everything was one of, because that was my style. Yeah. Okay. I didn't like, I don't like repeating stuff. Now I do just because I can't get out as much. I have a lot, I probably have like 30 minutes, 30 or 45 minutes of like material I've been repeating for the last five years. But before that, before five years ago, I had nothing that I would repeat. Just get on stage and whatever. Get on stage and just kind of riff. I mean, there's stuff that I might do for like two, three weeks. And then I was like, all right, that's done. Throw it over my shoulder, walk away to the next one. Wow. I can't imagine that because like there's still sketches I wrote five years ago that I would like to keep doing on stage and want other people to do and yeah. other well, people now, to see. Like. Now there's stuff I'm proud of. But also the other thing to remember is um, up, until, up until I got back from New Mexico, the entire time I was with my ex, I was stoned out of my gourd. Like I was sure. really high all the time. And then when she broke up with me, I was drunk for a year and a half. 
So when I got back to Philly, like I went through DTs in Alabama because when I got I got to Alabama on a Sunday and they don't serve alcohol on Sundays. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes so sense. I was I asked the guy like, well, where's the closest bar? And he was like, oh, it's a uh, in Tennessee. So I went, OK. <laughs> and I walked to my car and I put like I was pulling up the, the Garmin to map. It's like a four hour drive. And I was mapping it on and I stopped and I was like, no, this isn't a funny story. Wow. That, I was like, this isn't a funny story for on stage because everything else I'd done at that point, I felt like, like these are things I can repeat. You know, like the first time I shot a shotgun, I immediately started writing a joke. I'm like, shooting a shotgun's great. Every time you pump it, it's like you're jerking off death. Like it was just stupid things like that. I was like, this is stuff I could use. And I got to this moment. I was like, this is not a joke for on stage. This is a joke for a meeting in a church basement. Yeah. Because wanting to drive four hours just to drink just to on get a Sunday is. Yeah. So I went, I, I like marched back in. I got a room. I ordered two pizzas and a two liter of Coke, Coca-Cola. And I like went that whole night. I just like detoxed and like, I was like, all right. So I, I, I still drink now, but, but you're not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not on the binge. And I came back with a couple, like at the time I created a new mantra for myself. And one of them was, I really wanted to get, I wanted to make it because I wanted to show my ex and my best friend who she cheated on me with. I wanted to show the two of them that they screwed up by losing me by becoming famous. But then, like, a couple years later, I met my wife, and I was like, yo, Netflix and Cuddles is great. <laughs> and to make it, I have to, like, not Netflix and Cuddles. <laughs> this is stupid. Why am I doing this? Because of a girl worked at a head shop and a dude named Lance? That's retarded. So I just started calming it down. So now when I – it's funny because now I get booked on better shows because I'm not trying as hard. And when I show up now, it's an event. Yeah. Before, I was around all the time. Uh. I ask everybody, uh, who's your favorite Saturday Night Live cast member? Saturday Night Live cast yeah. member? That's a tough one. Can you, do, just in general, all of them. Yeah. There's so many ways to go. We can go those ways. Like. No, I know. It's funny. So when you asked me to, to pick out a sketch... I went through a lot of, and I contacted Alvaro. I was looking for one sketch in particular called 315, which I might actually upload to YouTube now, mm -hmm. or at least to Facebook, because it's so weird. Um, I'm going through all these different stuff, and I found all these old scripts. And the other thing I found is I used to, I would write to jog my memory. I never used them, but I would write these rants. And it was just like free form, you know, like that, the, who's the guy who wrote, um, what's that, the Jack Kerouac style? Like where you just write, without stopping. Oh, I don't know. You know, they, they would like, he would like tape, um, he would tape the typewriter paper together so he could just write on one continuous roll. Like that was my idea. Was wow. like, I was just okay. like William S. Burroughs type of thing. Again, a lot of drugs. Just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. And um, I had a deep hatred for Dennis Miller. Like an ever not, and it's almost on every other page. There's a line about Dennis fucking Miller. And it's because when I was a kid, I loved Dennis Miller. And yes. he betrayed me I, by I becoming I totally see what you're saying. Where... I loved him. I, wait, I used to watch the old SNLs on Comedy Central, and I loved him. I watched Dennis Miller live on HBO. I would call in. I, I can't tell you how long I waited on hold trying to call in to Dennis Miller live, a show that today I would be, like, spitting on people for watching. Well, yeah, uh, Dennis Miller had this, like, 
cocky, cool demeanor battle him in the eighties doing yeah. update. And he did rants and all of his, he was, he was I don't want to go off on a rant. Here. And at some point in the late nineties, early two thousands, he just fell off this cliff and became, well, I think like, he was always a conservative and I think, but I think it was also one of those things where he's like, I'm cool. So why right. are you guys listening to me? Yeah. Which was the, what made him like, it's the opposite. Like what made him cool in the eighties and up to that point was him pointing out that, Hey, these people aren't listening to you. So then eventually he's like, all right, you know, I'm cool. Listen to me. And we're like, no, nah, but you can, your hair, your mullet's <laughs> kind of dumb. And he was just like, fuck off then. So, um, Dennis Miller would be one who was, he was really up there for me. Um, Chevy Chase, which is weird because um, I think it's because my grandmother grew up in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Right. That's just connected to me. For some reason, I always just thought, I was like, she grew up inside of a man. I like <laughs> I, I remember like going to Maryland and just seeing the signs for Chevy Chase. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, that's uh, what, where my dad's what's from. What's going on here? Like, Yeah, he's from Bethesda, Chevy Chase area. Um, but yeah, those are the two big ones for me. I, okay. Dana Carvey. Is another one. I loved Dana Carvey's stand-up special. The, uh, okay, so Dana Carvey, I appreciate him. I just found out that the Dana Carvey show is on Hulu. Yes. And I just, I binged through everything that was, like, the, the eight episodes or whatever it is. Yeah. Doesn't do it for me. No, it's not. No, the Dana Carvey show does not do it for me at all. Like, here, and it's, here's, and he's seen? resting on his laurels, it feels like, so much during yeah. that show. Like, Well, yeah, he didn't have to do much, which is what, but you look at who's on it, and you look at who's trying on there, too, who's also getting a chance to fail, yeah, like, which is what's amazing. Like, Colbert talks about, like, him and, and Stephen, uh, the Col- other. Uh, Colbert, Carell. Carell. Louis C.K.'s in the writer's, like, the writer's room is yeah. a who's who now. But all like, those guys got to fail, and yeah. that's, I think, what's important. And I think it's something we're actually missing out on now. We don't let people fail anymore. Um, it's something that happens in stand-up all the time. Like comedians are held to uh, the standard of a joke they told at an open mic as being their gospel. Yeah, it, we don't let people fail and then, you know, take another step. You're like, oh, you tripped. That's where you live now, forever. <laughs> in fact, you know what? Take two steps back. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's where you live. You can't go past that point where you tripped. And um, I don't mean about PC stuff, any of that stuff. I mean, sometimes people just like. You look at the Dana Carvey show, none of those people should have worked again. You know? I mean, if everybody... And, but, and I think, well, I think for a lot of them, it took a while to work. Like, Yeah, but also, like, it, it gave them a chance, though. They, they got a chance to then actually be out there. They got to see mm-hmm. how a show works, to begin to get better and better. If you look at early Daily Shows, early Daily Show is terrible. I remember when Jon Stewart took over the Daily Show, my dad and I were sitting there, we're like, this show is awful now. Every show Jon Stewart's done it has failed. Right. It is nothing they, without they, Craig Kilborn. They say the same it thing with nothing with without Conan. Craig like Conan yeah. had nine months where his contract was like thirteen weeks. Every thirteen weeks he was yeah. renewed, and he still got stayed on for like a year. Like yeah, no, but I mean before like, he got a multi-year. But yeah, it's it's just that it's that tight. But it's it's weird. It's just weird. I think, but with the SNL stuff. Um, I think for me, it's actually not even the, the actual SNL cast members. I think it's really the hosts. Like when I go back and you go back, watch that first Richard Pryor. Yeah. Like the Richard Pryor show also, but the first Richard Pryor, like look how different comedy was back then. Like they're doing serious acting pieces in the, the Pryor forced them to do. Like his wife comes out and tells a poem about 
Yeah, he brought in a, a whole crew of Yeah, like, a whole crew. Yeah, the whole thing, it, you know, Mooney, Paul Mooney goes and writes a whole mm-hmm. half that script. He uh the which one called the which one called the job interview. Sketch. Yeah, the job interview. Like, yeah, which Paul is Mooney, one I always think sure. of as Chevy yeah. Chase because I'm like, yo, I wanted to punch Chevy in the face when I watched that. And I was like, that takes a lot of balls to do that sketch. Yeah. Um and at the same time, if you put any of the other cast members in, it wouldn't have they, they would have like, chewed the scenery. It, Chevy probably it was clearly the best choice for that sketch. Yeah. Like Yeah, I think any any of the other cast members would have choose Shoot the scene. Dan maybe would have been able to do it, Who? but uh, Dan Aykroyd might have been. But Belushi, have, but he would have done this voice. Yeah. Oh, how? Why do you think you're good for this job? But Let Belushi wouldn't have been right. No, Belushi like, would have been. Yeah. Yeah. None of none of the original cast. I think out of those, yeah. Uh, but don't get me wrong. Chevy Chase is a jerk and a monster. Um, <laughs> he is. He's just an all around bad person. And I love Community. And I'm glad Pierce is dead. <laughs> but uh, I I think. What were we talking about? Uh, I asked about SNL cast members and then... But there was something before we went to the, I went back to... Uh, oh, oh, the style, the style. The Richard Pryor show. You look at how sketches were written back in the 70s. I watched this one Richard Pryor sketch. I remember sitting there. I kept turning it off and turning it off and turning it off. Some friends of mine came over one day. We all were like hammered. And I couldn't find the remote because I just always kept skip this one sketch because mm-hmm. I thought it was dumb. I was like, it's not going anywhere. So I kept sk- skipping it around like the two-minute mark. My buddy was like, I couldn't find the remote. I'm getting up to find it. My dude's like, sit down, dude. I don't care. Let's just leave it on. It's this whole sketch. It keeps going. It keeps going. It keeps going. Seven-minute mark. The, the, one of the greatest punchlines I've ever seen. But you got to wait seven minutes. And we're not like that anymore. No. We're not. We're not going to give people that time. The only place you can get that time is in live theaters. Yeah. Of any type. Like, that's the only place because you have no other option. When you're sitting staring at someone doing their job, you, you cannot pull out your phone. If you do, you're a dick. And even if I think about like what I watch on YouTube, if it's more than four minutes, there better be different clips. The first well, thing you do when you open a YouTube video is you look at the timestamp. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the first thing you do every time. You never don't. And the only reason, the only way you, will, you won't do look at the timestamp is if you open a video and it has across the top, like, wait till the end. And then the smiley face emojis crying. I don't think I've ever seen no, a you know, video like, on like Facebook, that. Like, like, who did this? And uh, they have, like, the dumb emojis. No? I don't know. Man. Because I'm still looking at the time for that. Oh, man. Like, yeah, it's all on those freebooted videos on Facebook. <laughs> uh, and then what's, I mean, you've, you kind of mentioned why you do it. You're starting with spite and then getting out of spite. Yep. Same reason I quit doing drugs, too. Yeah. Uh, what's something that you've learned from comedy? Always take no. <laughs> I want to say like, always take chances. No, um, don't don't ever trust um, your first impressions of most people. Okay. Um, but trust your instincts because okay. your first impression may be different than your instinct after a while. So I mean, you've been in the Philly comedy community. We've had some actual legit monsters. Absolutely. Um, the one thing that I've actually I had a theory until very recently that was kind of proven right. Uh, which is all of these monsters that have existed in the in the comedy scene of all all levels. I never actually found them funny. They never actually made me audibly laugh. Okay. And I always got a weird feeling about them. So I find that like if I can understand someone's sense of humor, that I can usually understand that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of people who, when I first saw, I was like that person's garbage, and I wrote them off. And a lot of people did that to me. Yeah. And so give people, like I said, give people that time to develop. Like. If I see somebody who's really bad, 
I don't, I don't, I'm not like, I'm going to walk out every time that person performs. I'm like, I'm going to give them six months before I really pay attention again. And then I'll give them another six months. And if somebody tells me they're good, I'm going to not, I'm going to be like, okay, are, are you sure? And they'll be like, it could have just been that night. Right. You know, but then I, eventually I'll be like, oh, somebody told me, let me go take a look. But you get impressions of people. Like when you know that someone is, is a bad person, you can tell. And don't let a bad person stick around just to, so you can, you know, get a better gig or like not, you know, not make the party weird. Yeah. Like if somebody's doing bad shit, point out that they're a bad person. All you have to do is be like, hey, dude, I think you're a bad person. And when that guy's like, I'm not a bad fucking person, tries to slide you, guess what? That guy's not invited to parties anymore. Hey, don't be creepy to women. I'm not being creepy to women. They want it. Oh, see? There you go. That's Did everyone hear that? Cool. Immediately creepy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Have a great one, man. You can see Alex as a panelist at What's My Line at Good Good Comedy this Friday, July 21st at 7 p.m. Tickets are $5 and available at goodgoodcomedy.com. Alex also has a new podcast called Them Boys, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow him on Twitter at Alex Perlman. One last reminder, my first sketch live this Sunday, July 23rd at 4.30 p.m. We'll be on Fitz's second stage with the incredible shrinking man Jackie as my guests. Head to myfirstsketch.com slash July23 for more information. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at phlsketchfest. Also, for more information about comedy in Philly, head to woodercooler.com. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. And you can like my first sketch on Facebook. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. And the live my first sketch. <laughs>